Whole food vitamin C is not in a special tyrosinase complex. This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. And last runner-up is from Jacob Leonesio. My summary of his question is, is natural vitamin C better than synthetic vitamin C? His full question is, is natural vitamin C hugely better than synthetic vitamin C? How might this relate to copper status and utilization? Morley M. Robbins makes the claim, chapter 7, pages 168 to 169, chapter 9, pages 208 to 217 of Cure Your Fatigue, the Root Cause and How to Fix It on Your Own, that synthetic vitamin C is toxic, quote-unquote toxic, in parentheses, primarily because it is not complexed with tyrosinase, a copper-containing enzyme, and that only natural vitamin C is beneficial because it has the tyrosinase enzyme at its core. Is this so? I am aware that ascorbic acid inhibits copper absorption as well as tyrosinase activity, an enzyme important for melanin as well as dopamine synthesis. However, I could find no evidence of functional tyrosinase vitamin C complex. Does vitamin C extracted from a culture of Saccharomyces cerevisiae sold as a natural vitamin C combined with vegetable extracts contain, quote, the tyrosinase enzyme at its core, or does it have the same structure as synthetic ascorbic acid? If one took synthetic ascorbic acid at the same time as bioflavonoids or other cofactors, would it form a functional complex with copper or any functional entity like the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex is a functional entity? This is on my map because I've been copper deficient for at least several years. Most recently, 1208.22, serum copper was 56.1 micrograms per deciliter, reference range 70 to 140. Despite using many strategies, including using all of your handbook recommendations to bring my serum copper and seroloplasmin up. I'm now considering that my body is purposefully attempting to bring copper down despite my best efforts. Okay, so again, the summary is is vitamin C hugely synthetic in natural form to synthetic vitamin C, specifically on the idea that it makes a whole food complex with the tyrosinase enzyme when you get it from Whole Foods. I want to say at the outset that I like Morley Robbins. I respect him. And we have plans to have a very friendly um, discussion later in the year. And, and you know, we've, been, we've had some helpful conversations back and forth by email. And nothing I say to criticize his position here is meant as an insult to him at all in any way. With that said, um, this, uh, as far as I can tell, just just is not true. So there are several things to consider. So, I mean, first of all, it's obvious on the face of it that this can't be true because the way that he and others describe it is as if all the vitamin C is in a physical complex with one enzyme which makes no sense because there are many enzymes that use vitamin C. So even if vitamin C existed in a complex with the enzymes that it's a cofactor for, why would it all be in, associated with one single enzyme? Second, vitamin C is never in a complex with an enzyme that it's a cofactor for. I don't think there's any evidence that this is the case in, in the context of any vitamin C-dependent enzyme. 
Some things are prosthetic groups of enzymes. For example, FAD is a prosthetic group of many FAD-using enzymes. That's a derivative of riboflavin. The questioner brought up the alpha-ketoglutarate dehydrogenase complex. This is a massive factory of three types of enzymes with many copies each with numerous prosthetic groups. But there are some things that are cofactors that are not prosthetic groups. So for example, um, riboflavin in the form of FAD is a prosthetic group in this enzymatic complex. Uh, the lipoate, lipoic acid as a lipoate moiety of one of those enzymes is a prosthetic group. Thiamine as thiamine pyrophosphate is a prosthetic group in these enzymes. It's part of physically part of the complex, but coenzyme A is not a prosthetic group. It's still a cofactor. Um, niacin in the form of NAD+, when it comes to scooping up an electron and NADH when it carries it away, is not a an enzymatic it is an enzymatic cofactor for the enzyme complex. It's not a prosthetic group. So it's not going to be structurally part of that enzyme. Why? Because these things pick something up and then they go away and leave. Ascorbic acid is a water-soluble, diffusible enzymatic cofactor. It has to be because it's going and picking up electrons from other water-soluble, diffusible cofactors using other enzymes, right? When vitamin C gets oxidized, it has to go somewhere else to use enzymes that are dependent on glutathione or NADPH to be regenerated. Uh, or, in fact, it can actually act as a... Uh, it can actually deliver electrons directly to the, to the electron transport chain uh, using vitamin K as an intermediate. So you should never find enzymes with vitamin C as a cofactor having them joined as a structural part of the enzyme. You just won't find that. Now, if we go and look at vitamin C's roles in plants, these should be what predicts where we find the vitamin C. So in plants, vitamin C is a cofactor for the enzyme ferric chelate reductase which plays a role in keeping iron in the correct oxidation state. It's a cofactor for viola-xanthin desoxidase, which converts viola-xanthin to zeaxanthin. Zeaxanthin is, uh, is an isomer of lutein and is famous in human health for playing a role in preventing macular degeneration. But in the plant, zeaxanthin is the specific compound that is protecting photosystem 2 from photoinhibition. And what it does is it dissipates excess light energy so that the light energy does not exceed the capacity of the photosystem, and that allows photosynthesis to continue taking place. So note the, very, note the high importance in photosynthesis. This will come up in, in a moment. It's also used as a cofactor for the enzyme L-aminocyclopropane 1-carboxylic acid oxidase, which is involved in the synthesis of the plant hormone ethylene. It is a cofactor for enzymes that recycle or oxidize vitamin C. And 
as a cofactor for ascorbate oxidase. This gives it a role. Um, this because of the role of dehydroascorbate in cell division. This gives it a role in in plant, regulating plant cell division. It's a cofactor for the antioxidant enzyme ascorbate peroxidase, which converts hydrogen peroxide to water and molecular oxygen. And uh, the plant enzyme monodehydroascorbate reductase is one of the enzymes that recycles vitamin C in the plant. There are hypothesized roles for a score uh, for vitamin C in the synthesis of abscisic acid, gibberellins, and in the catabolism of auxins, which are basically regulatory hormones in plants. And that's hypothesized on the basis that we know that steps in the synthesis or catabolism of those compounds would involve monooxygenases or dioxygenases. And monooxygenases and dioxygenases are the classes of enzymes that vitamin C is usually a cofactor for. Vitamin C, interestingly enough, uh, plays a role in the defense against pathogen stress through some of the enzymes that I mentioned or through direct antioxidant uh, effects. And the defense against plant pathogens with vitamin C reduces the need of the plant to make salicylates. So when you look at databases of salicylates in foods, these are probably um, should be surrounded by very big error bars. And it's probably the case that as a farmer, you could learn about strategies to increase the vitamin C value of your plants, which would decrease the salicylate toxicity risk of the plants. Because when there's enough vitamin C to defend against pathogens, as well as when you have other defenses against pathogens, such as not monocropping and instead using, uh, I'm not a you know I'm not a regenerative farmer, but I know that there are strategies that they can use to structure their and rotate their fields to defend against pathogens. When you do that, um, you help, and when you have the right mineral uh, nourishment for vitamin C synthesis uh, and uh, extraction of nutrients from the soil to to nourish proper vitamin C synthesis you reduce the pathogen stress in the plant, which reduces the need to generate salicylates as a secondary defense. Kind of a, kind of a tangent, but anyway. Uh, vitamin C can also directly donate electrons to both photosystems involved in photosynthesis and to the respiratory chain, as I mentioned before, in the mitochondria. That generally is going to occur under stressful conditions that compromise the most efficient... Um, donors of electrons in the case of the photosystems and you know food molecules ultimately in the context of the respiratory chain where you can have you might have defects um, anywhere within those processes that make vitamin C as a secondary source of electrons step in to play that role now vitamin C is found ubiquitously in all plant tissues except seeds that mature at very dehydrated states because vitamin C is water-soluble and if you have the mature seed leaving the plant in a state of complete dehydration, you're not, you can't have any vitamin C there. With that said, analyses of plant tissues show that the highest concentrations are in peroxisomes and in the cytosol, the lowest concentrations are in vacuoles and all other organelles have intermediate concentrations. 
And the one of the key drivers of whether the concentration goes up or down and in what tissue it goes up and down is photosynthesis because of the demand to produce zeaxanthin to protect photosystem 2 and possibly the need to have it as a backup in the um in the donation of electrons to both photosystems and then also the need for direct antioxidant activity and in the glutathione recycling cycle which operates in plants as it does in humans and so for that reason the demand for photosynthesis is the biggest driver of where vitamin C goes. Now, what does that have to do with tyrosinase? So, tyrosinase per se is found... Now, you might find it named differently in the older literature. The modern literature generally you know, says tyrosinase is a mammalian enzyme and a fungal enzyme, and but then there are analogous enzymes that... Uh, that are in plants that conduct the main reaction, which is basically to, to, to turn a phenol into a quinone. It's an oxidative process, which is inhibited by, by vitamin C. Um, the reverse would be a reductive process that would depend on vitamin C. And so generally, vitamin C may indirectly support this process by... Uh, modifying the supply of other things that are involved. But generally, vitamin C directly inhibits these enzymes. So vitamin C, for example, is a direct inhibitor of the tyrosinase enzyme. And the crystal structure of tyrosinase has been solved uh, about a decade ago. And it's shown to have copper atoms in it. It doesn't have vitamin C as a prosthetic group or anywhere in it, as you would expect. Um, it's an inhibitor of the enzyme, so I don't know why it would even correlate with the tyrosinase activity of plants. And it, due to the other roles it plays, it quite obviously will not correlate with uh, tyrosinase activity as a main driver because there's so many other demands for vitamin C, none of which involve it as a prosthetic group. So it will not be complexed with anything in the plant, it will be in a water-soluble state unless that plant happens to have a store of vitamin C esters for later use. Now, if you keyword search uh, Morley Robbins' book for tyrosinase, you'll find nine examples of the word tyrosinase. Nowhere is there a reference for any statement that vitamin C is bound in a tyrosinase complex. And if you look at the harms that that Robbins indicates, uh, there are two main ones. So one is a paper... One is a paper called... Uh, it was a very early paper on the discovery of seroloplasmin. It's called Investigations in Serum Copper 2, Isolation of the Copper-Containing Protein, a Description of Some of Its Properties by Holmberg and Laurel. And what Robin says in the book is that ascorbic acid is capable of, quote, breaking down seroloplasmin. But what they actually said in that paper 
is that it reduced seroloplasmin from the oxidized state to the reduced state, which is what you would expect because it, vitamin C is a reducing agent. It's a donator of electrons. And they said that this was, quote, completely reversible in the presence of oxygen. So you get the sense from Robin's book that the serolop- that the um, seroloplasmin is destroyed, uh, but it's not. It's reduced, which is totally reversible. There's also a study, influence of ascorbic acid supplementation on copper status in young adult men. And what they found in that study, which was a poorly designed study with no proper control, but basically they had them take 500 milligrams of vitamin C every day with each of three meals for a total of 1,500 milligrams per day. And they found that this decreased serum copper by about 5% and seroloplasmin by about 25% over two months. And we know from other research that ascorbic acid can shift the oxidation states of copper and iron to make copper less absorbable and iron more absorbable when it's obtained from plant foods. And then we also know that it can deload copper from seroloplasmin, which is thought to help play a role in the delivery of copper to cells. So you probably have uh, an excess of vitamin C in this case taken with each meal so that it has maximal impact on copper. And then you have an additional deloading of seroloplasmin's copper content, which is probably going to increase the degradation of seroloplasmin because it's not bound to copper. And I think what that shows you is that by default, you don't want to have 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C, which you cannot get from food per day for every day for months. Um, There's no basis whatsoever for wanting that amount of vitamin C. Um, And there's no evidence in any study whatsoever that is cited by Robbins and I doubt that is cited by any other advocate of the idea that whole food vitamin C is fundamentally different from synthetic vitamin C. None of these studies head-to-head compare synthetic vitamin C with whole food vitamin C. I mean, literally the entirety of this position is built on studies that just so vi- just show vitamin C does something. So if they show vitamin C does something bad, they say it's because it was synthetic vitamin C, but there's zero evidence of that because none of these studies showed that the same amount of whole food vitamin C didn't do the exact same thing, which I bet you anything it would. Um, I bet you, I, I would bet like, I don't have the extra money, but I would bet, uh, I would bet at least a thousand dollars that if, with anyone, anyone that wants to take me up on this, that, um, okay, I will bet $1,000 that there is no existing study showing head-to-head randomized that in a group, right, like randomized control trial head-to-head equivalent doses from whole food vitamin C and synthetic vitamin C in a group with statistical significance showing that vitamin C does that synthetic vitamin C does something harmful, the same dose of whole food vitamin C does not do. I'll bet a thousand dollars it doesn't exist. 
And then I would, um, I would definitely, if someone wanted to design a study that could be done affordably, I, I would, I'd be, I'd do my part to crowd for crowdsource a future study on this. Um, and I would put, I would put some, some money into it. Um, but look, this, this is the deal. So, as I've said before, you know, with the exception of sepsis, chemotherapy as in as a chemotherapeutic agent, there's no basis for for a regular administration above 400 milligrams a day of vitamin C. Anecdotally, there's claims around illness, uh, you know, get sick, go to bowel tolerance, fine. There's nothing but anecdotal support for that. There's no basis in the literature for that. It may well be true, but that should not be construed as a reason to take that much vitamin C every day. Um, and so, yeah, you'll probably cause harm to copper studies, but it got nothing to do with any kind of special structure of whole food vitamin C versus synthetic vitamin C. It has everything to do with the fact that 14, 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C every day is too much. Uh, you know, so the the sweet spot is very clearly two to four hundred milligrams of vitamin C separated in at least two divided doses. And if you're going to do that, why would you not use whole food vitamin C? Getting that much vitamin C in a whole food complex is is um, affordable. It avoids the problem of um, it avoids the problem of GMO source vitamin C loaded with glyphosate. You can get non-GMO vitamin C, but it also avoids the need to go to you know synthetics for China that might be contaminated with whatever. Um, and it's got other stuff in it. You know, any whole food vitamin C is derived from a whole food that's got a bunch of other whole food beneficial things in it. And I think that's the main reason for using it. It's because there's no need to go above the dose that you can get affordably from a whole food complex or even better from whole foods. Um, you know, as to the claim that vitamin C is fundamentally different in a structural way in whole food versus natural vitamin C, that's just not true. So, uh, thank you very much, Jacob, for your question. This is a clip from a live Q and A session open to CMJ MasterPass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. If you want to become a MasterPass member so that you can participate in the next live Q&A, or so that you can have access to the complete recording and transcript of each Q&A session, you can join at chrismasterjohnphd.com slash MasterPass. You can save 10% off the subscription price for as long as you remain a member by signing up at chrismasterjohnphd.substack.com slash Q&A. Q&A spelled out as Q-A-N-D-A. These links are in the description.